turn to two passages in the Word of God, the first in the Gospel by Matthew in chapter 26. Matthew in chapter 26. Matthew 26, and we read verse 36. Matthew 26, 36, Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, and saith unto the disciples, Sit ye here while I go yonder, go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be very sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. And he went a little farther, and fell on his face, and prayed, saying, O my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. Down to verse number 43. And he came again, and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. Verse 46. Rise, let us be going. Behold, he is at hand that doth betray me. And while he yet spake, lo, Judas, one of the twelve, came, and with him a great multitude with swords and staves from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now he that betrayed him gave them a sign, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, that same is he, hold him fast. And forthwith he came to Jesus and said, Hail, Master, and kissed him. Now go across to the Gospel by John in chapter 19. <clears throat> John chapter 19. John chapter 19, and we'll break into the reading at verse 12. <clears throat> And from thenceforth Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, saying, If thou let this man go, thou art not Caesar's friend. Whosoever maketh himself a king speaketh against Caesar. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus forth and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in the Hebrew Gabbatha. And it was the preparation of the Passover, and about the sixth hour. And he saith unto the Jews, Behold, your king. But they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said unto them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. Then delivered he him therefore unto them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away. And he, bearing his cross, went forth unto a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him and two other with him, on either side one, and Jesus in the midst. And Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross. And the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. 
And that's all we read and trust that God will bless his word to all our hearts. <clears throat> it is a very interesting study to go through the New Testament, the Gospels, and consider the various places that the Lord Jesus was. In fact, we have touched upon a number of them this morning in a remembrance of him. We can think of him in Bethlehem as the, as the infant, marvelous thing to wonder on. The Son of God from heaven, becoming the Son of Man on earth itself. We could look at him as the infant and the family that fled into Egypt as a refuge from the murderous thoughts and schemes of King Herod. We can think of him, and our brother mentioned it in his thanksgiving, as the one who grew up in Nazareth. Those silent years that we know so little about. And yet with all, there is some little glimpse of one who was perfect and holy. It must have been a tremendous thing for Mary to rear a son who was absolutely perfect. To look upon one who was holy. What an experience it must have been for that mother in Nazareth. We could look at him in his movements in Galilee, in the teaching that he gave on the high mountain, in the miracles that he wrought in Capernaum. We could think of him as he's baptized at the banks of Jordan in the wilderness of Judea, where he says to John, it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. We could think of him as the welcome guest in the house of Bethany, and how he was welcomed there, that family that gave him that place. It's been touched upon already this morning. We could think of him in the upper room when he took the emblems and he instituted what we do today. But just for a few moments, and there are only moments left, I want us to think of the three places that we have read of in Matthew 26 and in John chapter 19. Gethsemane, Gibbatha, and Golgotha. It is interesting if you go into the Gospels that these places are only mentioned once. Now, I know Matthew and Mark both mention Gethsemane, but they're only mentioned once in Scripture. And they're only ever mentioned in association with the Lord Jesus Christ himself. They're not mentioned for any other reason with anyone else, but they're only mentioned in relation to the Savior. And so just for a minute or two, I want us just in our hearts to ponder some thoughts concerning these three places and what they show us about man and at the same time what they bring before us about the Lord Jesus that we've remembered today. Gethsemane. Those of you who have margins in your Bible will know that it's the place of the olive press. That place where they were taken and crushed. And Gethsemane you know, there are many things about it that touch our hearts. There's many things about it that cause us to feel shame of mankind. It was a place of betrayal. To think of one who came in, who had accompanied with the Savior, who had heard his teaching, who had seen his miracles, who had gone out with the other eleven, even in the preaching. And yet with all, he comes in as a traitor, he arrived at that place that he knew so well for the Saviour resorted often thither. And he comes to the Saviour and he greets him with a kiss. The place of betrayal. How sad, isn't it? How pathetic for that soul as he comes to the Saviour and as he plants a kiss upon his cheek. And as we read later on in the story, they bound him and led him 
away. But you know, it was not only the place of betrayal, but it was the place of cowardice. I know Peter took a sword. I know he cut off the servant of the high priest's ear. More than likely, he was trying to cut his head off and was not very good with the sword. I don't think fishermen make good soldiers. But it was a place of cowardice. We read that they all forsook him and fled. And as he stands alone in that garden, those who were closest to him, those who had company with him, the one who's standing closest to him is the very betrayer himself, and the rest of all forsaken him and fled the place of cowardice. It was a place of anticipation. We cannot think of Gethsemane, but we think of the posture of the Saviour there. As he falls on his face and he prays, not my will but thine be done. And as he anticipates the awful suffering of the cross on the morrow, his blood was as it were, great, his sweat was as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Anticipating the woe of Calvary, the suffering of it, the darkness of it, the mighty burden that he would bear, the awful wrath of God. It shows in the anticipation of Gethsemane how in prostrate on the ground and it says an angel was sent to strengthen him. What it must have meant to the Saviour because he knew all that lay before him. It wasn't something that was new to him in terms of not knowing but he understood exactly the pathway and what it would entail. And we see the suffering agony of the Saviour in the garden of Gethsemane. Finally, as time's gone, Gethsemane, we see it was the place of arrest. You know, it touches my heart every time I read it. It says they bound him and led him away. Just think of it. Soldiers with their staves, with their lanterns, that motley mob that was gathered together sent by the religious hierarchy of the nation of Israel. And they come and they take the Lord of life and glory. And they bound him and led him away. The place of arrest. So we see him as he leaves Gethsemane. He moves forward as a captive. The betrayer has completed his dreadful task. The disciples have manifest their cowardice and have forsaken him and fled him. And he alone is brought along to suffer the judgments of the night and of the next day. But then move forward a number of hours and we come to the second place, Gabatha. Gabatha, it was a, an elevated stone as it were. It was like a dais where the governor would sit on it and he would pass judgments. He would make decisions. He would say what the final word would be he would have listened to all the arguments. He would have listened to the prosecution and the accused would have to face all the charges. He would listen to the defense and he would have to make up his mind, what am I going to do? The one who was prostrate in Gethsemane is now standing before him. The one who was bound, likely still bound, 
stands arranged before Pilate as he sits upon the judgment seat upon Gabbatha. And it is a place of judgment. A momentous decision is going to have to be taken. Even Pilate himself says it. What shall I do then with Jesus which is called Christ? And the crowd are crying away with him, crucify him. If thou let this man go, thou art not Caesar's friend. We have no king but Caesar. And the baying of the crowd on the one side, they want this man put to death. And Pilate's sitting there and he's got to make his judgment. And if in Gethsemane we see it as a place of anticipation, when we go to Gabbatha we see it's a place of decision. Pilate's got to make up his mind. And knowing what was right, he went against it all. And we read those words, Then delivered he him therefore unto them to be crucified. And they led him away. You know, this world has been full of many decisions in courts that were right. And equally true, there have been many decisions in courts that were wrong. I don't believe there was any decision ever taken that went as much against the evidence as in this dreadful decision then delivered he him therefore to them to be crucified. Gethsemane, the place of anticipation. Gabbatha, the place of a dreadful decision. We move onward. There's an awful lot that's happened, but we come then to Golgotha, the place that we have been remembering this morning, the place of a skull, there are arguments about what that really means, whether it's the physical features of the place or not. We'll not enter into that. But for you and I, as we look at it this morning, it was a place of shame and humiliation. It was a place where they took the Lord of life and glory and they gave him the death of a criminal. Nailed upon Golgotha's tree, Faint and bleeding, who is he? Hands and feet so rudely torn, crowned with crown of twisted thorn. Once he lived in heaven above, happy in his father's love, son of God, tis he, tis he, on the cross of Calvary. And in shame, it shows the shamefulness of man in the shame that they put the Saviour to. But it's not just a place of shame. It was a place of death. When a man went out to a cross at Calvary, he faced death. And as you and I look at Calvary, we see there the great penalty that our sin demanded fall upon God's sinless Son. And if in his shame we see the shamelessness of man, in his death we see the life that you and I have got. For his death brings life to us. It was a death that was voluntary, we know that. It was a death in which he laid down his life, the corn of wheat falling into the ground and dying. It was his death in which he, the shepherd, the good shepherd, giveth his life for the sheep. 
It was his death in which he offered himself a sacrifice without spot to God to satisfy the claims of God against the guilty. And it was in his death that you and I have life for all eternity. It was the place of judgment. Not only the judgment of Pilate upon an innocent man, but the judgment of the God of heaven against sin. And then the judgment that fell upon him. Forgiveness has flowed to you and I. And we can truly look at the cross at Calvary and see in that shameful sight at Golgotha, one who in his shame, one who in his judgment, one who in his agony, in his humiliation, in his death, suffered all that God would need to bring upon judge, in judgment upon sin so that you and I might enjoy forgiveness, everlasting life, and joy for all eternity. I trust that as we leave the table today, and as we've remembered our Savior another time, that we remember something of the anticipation of the cross at Gethsemane, that we remember something of the awful decision of Gabbatha, but that most of all we remember something of the shameful death of Calvary. And we can truly enter into the words of the hymn writer. Was it for me he bowed his head upon that cross and freely shed his precious blood, that crimson tide? Was it for me the Savior died? And each one of us from our hearts can sing this morning. As we remember him another time, it was for me, yes, all for me. O love of God, so great, so free. O wondrous love, I'll shout and sing. He died for me, my Lord, the King. Gethsemane, Gabbatha, Golgotha.